All right. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Hey, let's go ahead and dismiss kids to Children's Church. So grade six and down, if you're here with dad or grandpa, give them a hug, give them some knuckles, and off you go to Children's Church. Um, hey, as uh, Ian mentioned, it was awesome to have Vacation Bible School around here this week. Uh, this place was just packed with kids. Um, a huge thank you, thank you, thank you to an amazing number of adults and teenagers uh, that just did an awesome job. So uh, yeah, let's appreciate our volunteers. So many of them, they're home sleeping because they're exhausted, but um, hey, and did you notice that today is the day that kids are going to camp? And so uh, as they're coming in, how exciting is that? Over 100 kids heading up to Hume Lake today, a week of freedom and excitement and celebration. And did you see the smiles on those faces? And I'm talking about the parents, of course, right? Because off they go to camp. So no. Hey, we do want to be praying for our kids. And do pray. Pray for great things to happen. Um, I know camp was a place that turned my life around. And so let's pray for that for many, many other kids. So, all right. Hey, today is Father's Day. We've already mentioned that. Uh, Thank you to all of the dads. And um, as we get going um, into this morning's message, we've got a little uh, video, some words of advice or some words uh, from kids to dads. Let's take a look at it up there. Dad, Dad, hey Dad. I want to be rich and good looking. I want to be rich and good looking. I'll need you to challenge me. I'll need you to challenge me to be rich and good works. To be rich and good works. I'll be focused on building my career at all costs. I'll need you to show me how to put my family ahead of work. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I need you to teach me to honor God. I'll need you to teach me to honor God with my time and resources. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I want to avoid hard conversations. I'll need you to show me how to speak the truth in love. In love. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll need you to remind me that I should obey God. That I should obey God. I'll look for happiness in many different places. I'll need you to show me that joy is found in following Christ. I want to treat girls how the world tells me to. I'll need you to show me how to honor them with all my actions. I'll find myself stuck in bad habits. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you, Dad. I'll need you, Dad. I need you, Dad. I'll need you, Dad. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. To point me to Christ when no one else will. Well, hey, our kids need you, uh, dads. uh, Yeah, let's... So your families do, uh, your church does, your community does, our world does. And so dads, we are so grateful for you. You know, as I think about the heart of the dad's role, um, I think about the role of sacrifice and faithfulness and and discipline, um, hopefully a sense of humor along the way with all of those things. Um, And while dads, it's not always easy, um, the rewards are great. um, And in the end, we wouldn't want it any other way. So hang in there. And we are so grateful for all that you do. Hey, and as we think about the of dad, it actually makes me think a little bit about the topic of today's message, which is love and obedience. Love and obedience. So hopefully you received some message notes when you came in. You're going to want to grab those out. You're going to want to grab a Bible as well as we're going to be digging into that. Um, But today we are finishing our short little five-week series that we've called the Summer of Love because what we've been looking at is what Jesus really taught in the Gospels about uh, love. And we conclude today in a perfect way because we're actually going to look at one of the more neglected 
but really one of the most essential things that Jesus actually talks or said about love. It doesn't get a lot of a press. It doesn't get quoted a, a lot. But this is such an important thing that Jesus taught about love because it really ties all of it um, together. And so four weeks ago, we started in this series uh, by talking about what Jesus said is the first and the greatest commandment. And he said that that is to love God with all that you've got. Love God with your first and your best. Love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the foundation of it all, our relationship with God. But then he says, you know what? The second commandment is like the first, which means one of the ways that you love God, you can't always see with your eyes, is by loving your neighbor as yourself, the person you can see. And by the way, your neighbor includes pretty much everybody we saw that day. And then we saw that Jesus said famously that as the family of God, as his disciples, we're supposed to love one another. And this is super important because the love that we have is kind of a sacred and a supernatural love. And Jesus says the world's going to know that we're his disciples by the way that we love one another. And so that is so important. And then um, last week we said, you know, if you just think uh, loving, you just love the people that are easy, the love of the people that are like you, you are missing the point. Uh, Jesus taught us to love even our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And Jesus demonstrate every kind of that love, but especially that love for enemies all the way through his life, all the way to the cross. So in other words, when we talk about what Jesus taught about love, there's a few things. It's multifaceted. There's a lot to it. It's also, and we've said this time and time again, and we'll look at it again today, it's not something that's based on feelings or emotions that, you know, can't always be trusted and come and go. It's also much deeper, and it's much wider than kind of the shallow version of love that we've been sold uh, by our culture, which is why I said today's passage is so important because it ties them all together as we talk about love and obedience. Love is inseparably tied to action. You can't separate those out. In fact, point number one is this. Jesus teaches us that love for him is proven through genuine obedience to his commands. The way Jesus says you show love to him is through obeying his commands. So our passage today is from John chapter 14. I encourage you to open up your Bible, pull it up on your phone. Um, as we see, this is some of Jesus's final message to his disciples from the upper room. It's kind of his last chance to let them know everything that they need to know before he heads off to his death. And in John 14 verse 15, we pick up our passage for the day and it goes like this. If you love me, says Jesus, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And this advocate is the spirit of truth. We're going to jump down to verse 21 for time's sake here. But it says, whoever has, in verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me, because we're talking about love, will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, but not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? But Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me 
will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And all this I have spoken while I while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. And then he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I do not give peace as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So not a great passage, so much in there. Um, we're going to get to the part about the Holy Spirit in a little bit here. But I want you to notice just a few things here. And maybe you want to even just underline these things in your notes and see if you can find kind of a theme of what Jesus is talking about here. Because in verse 15, he says it like this. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And then in verse 21, he says this, whoever has my commands and keeps them or obeys them is the one who loves me. Verse 23 says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24 says, anyone who does not love me will not obey. And if you skipped ahead to John 15, just a little bonus, it says this, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So do you see the theme that Jesus is getting at there? Jesus is connecting intricately love and obeying him. The two are inseparably intertwined. You can't pull them apart. It's not enough to say, oh, I love you, Jesus, and to go to church and sing the songs and pray the prayers, and then go and live however you want. Jesus never talked about love in that sort of way. He says, no, if you want to show your love for me, it's demonstrated through obedience to my commands. I read a lot of great stuff on that this week, and I just want to share with you a little bit about what commentator William Barclay said about it. He says, kind of what I've been saying here, he says, to John, there's only one test of love, and that is obedience. And then he says, John never allowed love to devolve into sentiment or emotion. Its expression is always moral, right? It's always lived out in a moral way. It's revealed in obedience. We know all too well how there are those that speak their love in words, but who at the same time bring pain and a heartbreak to those they claim to love. Then he gives a couple examples. He says there are children and young people who say that they love their parents and who yet cause them grief and anxiety. There are husbands who say they love their wives and wives who say they love their husbands and yet who yet by their inconsiderateness and irritability and their thoughtless unkindness bring pain to one another. He says that's not how it was with Jesus. To Jesus, real love is not an easy thing because it's shown in true obedience. And the truth is this concept is kind of a hard one for Americans. For one, we don't like being told what to do. We don't like being told you've got to obey commands. But as we've talked about several times, we tend to connect love with emotion and feeling, and that is a part of love. But the other thing is we tend to really think about love based on kind of what we get. So I love you because I, of what I get in return. So it's kind of a self-focused way. And my love is really about me, myself, and, and what I get. And love was never like that to Jesus. Love was not connected in that way. It was connected to obedience. Let me just give you kind of a, an example of this. And in some ways, it's kind of a heavy example or whatever. Um, but think back all the way to that original summer of love. So they originally called the summer of love uh, back in San Francisco in 1969. Um, They're kind of in the Haight-Ashbury district. And one of the, the hearts of the summer of love was what they called free love. This was a chance that they were going to experience free love, which was basically love or not even necessarily love. It was sex without restrictions or without commitment. So the summer of love was all about do whatever feels right to you. 
Now, if you look back at the sexual revolution in our country, because that's what they were talking about, a sexual revolution. If you look back at that, now we are 50 plus years removed from that. When, they first come, when we first began to kind of, and it, it started, of course, before that, um, but when there was first kind of this rejection of the biblical value of sex within marriage that was based on a, a commitment. The idea what this sexual revolution was that it was going to usher in this wonderful revolution of freedom and self-discovery, and empowerment for people. But the reality is, even by secular standards today, the sexual revolution has not led to healthier and happier sexuality in our world. Instead, it's led to huge dysfunction and confusion, right? So just look at the state of the world. Women and children are more objectified than they've ever been before. Pornography is rampant and getting more violent and more prevalent. Rape culture is still on the loose and ever-present. Sex trafficking is more than it's ever been before. On top of that, here we are in 2022, 50 years, uh, as we look at the 50-year impact of the sexual revolution, and more young people are confused and struggling because of the pressure that is piled on them to question their identity, to question their gender, and therefore they're anxious and depressed because of all of this intense pressure that is put on them to just do and try anything. You add to that the breakdown of marriage and family, which has untold negative impact on our society. On Father's Day, man, I think about that so much. The role of of families breaking up. Think of what that's meant in our world, especially in the poorest and the most vulnerable communities. And we're not even talking about the 50-year experiment with drug use that also was kind of connected to those times, which is devastating. So again, I'm not trying to be too heavy or too preachy, but what I want us to see is the point is that real love is not a free-for-all. That's not what is best, which is why it's so important that we've been taking the time to go back to what Jesus really taught about love. And here he teaches, as clear as could be, if you love me, that's connected to obedience. It's connected to our action. It moves from our head to our heart, to our hands, and to our feet. So a a little bit, one thing that Jesus is not teaching here, we need to be clear about this, Jesus is not teaching legalism. Jesus is not teaching salvation by works. But what Jesus is teaching, along with kind of the New Testament, they consistently teach that real faith, or in this case, real love for Jesus, is connected and is proven out by obeying his commands. So it's the same argument that James makes about faith when he says, faith leads to works. Without, without works, faith is, is dead. Jesus is making the same kind of argument. Without obedience, this love is, is not really love. So, he, so we want to obey his commands. So that raises the question, what are the commands of Jesus? What are the commands that he had in mind when he said this uh, to his disciples? Well, we don't know the complete answer to that, but certainly I would say uh, Jesus had in mind his commands about love. Um, He was very clear about his commands to love God, to love neighbor, to love one another, to love our enemies. So there's definitely, I think, the commands uh, to love. I think you can't escape that Jesus was also teaching about Christian ethics 
and morality um, and the things that he taught, uh, both like in the Sermon on the Mount and then he modeled in his life the way he treated people, so Christian ethics. But specifically, when you interpret the Bible, you want to, to best understand what a verse means in its actual context. You want to see what it means in the closest proximity to it. And so if you look at just the things that Jesus commanded in the Gospel of John, so there's an imperative verb tense in Greece, so you can see which are the imperatives, which are the commands that Jesus actually gives us in the Gospel of John. And I've got a list of, uh, I think most, if not all of them, right there um, in your notes. So we see in John chapter 1, Jesus commands to receive him. In John 1, he also commands people, his disciples, and I think us as well, to follow me. He gives a command to a man who's crippled and injured to get up, get up and take up your mat and walk. He gives a command to Lazarus from in the tomb, rise up, rise up from the dead, he commands Lazarus. Believe in me, he says, believe in the light. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then he issues it as a command, believe in the light. John 14 begins with believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus says. And then so much of the upper room discourse that we're looking at here, Jesus enters into the theme of the command to abide in me, live in me, remain in me, stay connected to me. He commands us to ask in his name and to ask whatever he wishes. He commands us to abide in not only in him, but in his love. And then at the very end in John 20, he uh, uh, commands us to receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And so that's an interesting look at kind of the commands that Jesus gives there. And I saw one person summarize them like this. They said the, the, the four words that kind of summarize the commands of, of Jesus in the book of John are receive, believe, ask, and abide. Receive, believe, ask, and abide. And how interesting it is that Jesus's commands are so much related to grow your relationship with me, draw close to me, believe in me, Receive me, live in me, ask in my name, build that relationship with me. And here's what's fascinating about those things, receive, believe, ask, and abide. That's the takeaway for every one of us today. If you love me, you will receive, believe, ask, and abide, Jesus says. And you may have walked with God for 70 years and you're here at church for the millionth time today, that's the command to you. You may be here and it is your very first time and you are still checking it out. Jesus' command to you is receive him. Believe in him. Ask in his name. Pray to him. Abide just means to be connected to him, to live in him. And Jesus says, I want you to love me and the way you do it is by obeying my commands. So we always get to kind of the question, how do we do this? What is it, you know, how do you actually put this in, in practice? Because it all sounds good. And, and so I want to spend just a couple minutes on these verses, um, how they're tied together with Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus kind of weaves together this idea of love and obedience and the promise of the help of the Holy Spirit kind of weaves them all together. In John 14, verse 16, it says this, at, uh, he will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So just look at that verse there. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another advocate. That word there, another, doesn't mean another of a different kind, but there's a specific word that means another of the same kind. So Jesus says, I am God in the, the flesh with you, and I'm going to send another like me, God in the spirit 
to live in you. And this an, another one is, is, is not different, but is of the same kind. He says he's going to be an advocate, a helper, a comforter. Maybe your translation says he's going to send an encourager to you. The Greek word, maybe you've heard this before, is the word paraclete. Paraclete, it's a compound word that means to be called alongside, called alongside. So he says, I'm going to send one that comes alongside you in your time of need. And he's going to be the one that comforts and encourages and challenges and does all of those things because it's God's spirit living inside of you. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit is going to do is guide us into all truth. And doesn't our world need some truth these days? And so as we stay connected to the Holy Spirit, we receive, believe, ask, abide, and as we lean into him, he will guide us into his truth, connected to his words and to obeying his commands. You see how it all just kind of ties together. And you see Jesus' train of thought as he puts love, obedience, and the promise of his Holy Spirit together. Well, hey, it reminds me of a, a cool story that I saw recently about a young man by the name of Jacob Smith. And uh, Jacob Smith grew up in Montana, and when he was only eight years old, he lost his eyesight. He had a rare disease um, that left him blind as an eight-year-old. Tragic story. Um, but he already, growing up in Montana, loved to snow ski, and he was not ready to give that up. He was determined to get back on the slopes, even if he couldn't see them. And so there you can see him pictured with his dad, and his dad and he worked out this system where Jacob would ski, and his dad, Nathan, would kind of coach him. Eventually, with some, some words in his ear, he would say, turn right, turn left, watch out for the tree, you know, whatever he needed to hear, and dad would kind of coach him down. Well, eventually he started entering into some competitions, and then as a 12-year-old, 12-year-old, a little guy, he became the first blind skier to ever ski Montana's very dangerous, very difficult 11,000-foot mountain called the Big Coulard. The Big Coulard is this huge mountain um, in uh, Montana, and he said, I'm going to ski this thing, and so he put his skis facing down, and he listened to his dad's instruction in his ear. And I want you to just take a little look. The video is kind of weird because it's a big distance, but take a look at what can happen when we listen to our father's voice. Ski the big Coulard, big sky Montana. Dad, dropping in three, two, one. title. Isn't that amazing? How many of you like freaked out just looking at the mountain, right? I mean, you're not even, you're here uh, safe, but he dropped in with his dad's voice 
in his ears. And you guys, life is big and life is scary. And, and even this command to obey him seems challenging. And Jesus says, I'll send my Holy Spirit to help, to guide, to encourage, to speak and lead you in to all truth as we do this together. Well, hey, I want to um, pause here and I want to um, introduce you to a ministry that our church has uh, supported and hear a little bit about some people that are really putting this into practice in real life. So I want to invite my good friend Rick Souza to come on up. Uh, Rick and I have been brothers in ministry for a lot of years and he is the leader of Faith Home Teen Challenge. So thanks, Rick. And we're going to give Rick the microphone and have some of his guys come up as well. So thank you, brother. Great. Great being with you this morning. Great worship. Great message. I couldn't go down that mountain with two eyes. I tell you what, that's, that's really an amazing thing. Well, many of you have probably heard of uh, Teen Challenge for many, many years. And Teen Challenge 68 years ago, 64 years ago, was founded in Brooklyn, New York. And it was Teen Challenge because it was a minister that worked with young boys and girls and teenagers that were drug addicts and they were gang members and began a powerful ministry that spread throughout the whole world since that time. We're in 230 locations in the United States, 140 countries around the world. I've been executive director for this ministry for about five and a half years. I was a missionary with Global Teen Challenge around the world for a long time. And you know, it's an amazing thing because our, our mission, our vision is, is putting hope within reach of everyone struggling with life-controlling issues. Hope. I think it's one of the biggest words in the English language, especially if you've never had hope. How many of you in your lifetime sometime just felt like there was no hope for a situation that I was involved in? Many hands go up, and there are many more if everybody was totally honest, because hope is just, just a remarkable thing when you don't have it. Ours is a men's uh, Christian discipleship ministry. Our headquarters is in... Uh, Series California. We have a 35-acre ranch, but our contact office is in Lodi. We've been here about three and a half years, I think. Uh, Dave and Deanna Graves are the contact supervisors here. We've had many, many, many young men and older men, anywhere from 18 to in the mid-60s, come, come into the program. And it's uh, not only a ministry for men, but it's about a ministry for restoring families, to see the restoration of hope within a family and see relationships that were broken and destroyed for, for many, many reasons and see the power of God. As I was talking to your pastor last week, one of the things, and I knew what the theme of his message was going to be, one of the scriptures that really jumped out at me was from John chapter 15, verse 11 and 12. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Many of the individuals that come into our program have experienced some pretty horrendous things or because of things that happened in their family, they never really had much of a, much of a, a shot at life. But to see what God can do with them, we finished chapel the other night. On Wednesday night, I was speaking, and as we left, it was a particularly powerful move of God in that chapel service. And as we left, one of the guys, one of the young guys was sitting on a bench by himself. And as I walked by, I, I just almost went to my office, but I felt, no, it's sort of a check. I needed to go sit down and talk to him. And as I sat down and talked to him, he was just weeping. And he said, you know, my whole life, I have never met a Christian. I did not know it was possible to experience so much love. And I'm so grateful 
to be here and so grateful to have met Jesus as my personal Savior. I'd like to ask two of my staff members to come up, George McIntosh and Zach Vera, if they'd come up for a second. They came in as uh, students a number of years ago and then student leaders, and they've been on my staff for quite some time now. Very, very uh, important members of our staff, and I've asked them if they could share with you for a couple minutes briefly about what God's done in their life. Hello, everyone. My name is Zach Vera. I um, actually grew up here in Lodi. I graduated from Tokay High uh, back in 2009, so that makes me 31. Um, Yes, 31. (laughs) Um, So my story is kind of like that of the prodigal son, which is a little ironic that I'm here today on Father's Day speaking about it because um, growing up, I did uh, I did go to church occasionally. I played a lot of sports, though, baseball mostly, um, which was travel ball. And so on the weekends, I wasn't at church. But I had, grand- I had praying grandparents, for sure. And um, um, after graduation from high school, I didn't get into the college that I wanted. Um, and basically, I just kind of started living life on my own terms. Um, and a few years after that, I moved to the big city, San Francisco, and... Um, life for me started out okay, um, and it was fun, but it didn't last long, and um, that false sense of inclusiveness that the world uh, out there um, offers uh, is very fleeting, and um, since I had known better, um, I still kept doing what I wanted to do, and it led me down a really dark path, uh, so eventually, like the prodigal son, I came to my senses, and like that, um, I ran, basically ran back home. Um, and when I did, I wasn't greeted with um, a critical spirit from my family or anything like that, but literally my dad um, opened, his, you know, opened, his house back to, uh, opened his house back to me and, uh, and let me in, and um, for that I'm most grateful. But with a series of events, I did find myself uh, at Teen Challenge where, um, again, I was welcomed with open arms. And, um, you know, from going from having an aggressive addiction to um, what the real pandemic is, you know, here in this country to the drugs that that do ruin the lives of families, um, the Lord, you know, took that and... and, uh, and, and help me do away with all that. Mm-hmm. And with the help of Teen Challenge, Adult and Teen Challenge there in series, um, I was able to, to regain my, um, my confidence back, my self-esteem, and, uh, and, and my faith and hope in, in Christ. And, uh, and without, without the Lord's strength, I couldn't have done it. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if any of you know anybody with an addiction, which I'm sure most of you in this, in this room do um, here in Lodi, um, just know that there's always hope and keep praying for them. If you have a grandson, granddaughter, a son or a daughter, niece or nephew, um, keep praying and, and, and tell them about us and tell them about Jesus and, and how much his perfect love, not the love that, that the world sells, you know, sells us in that false sense of of love it's it's all it's all fleeting but that perfect love that Jesus only Jesus Christ can offer is uh is what is is true love i mean that's that's um what allowed me to have my you know my my hope 
in, Amen. in Christ back. So Amen. thank Amen. you guys. Good morning, church. My name is George McIntosh. Um, just like anybody else, we all go through hills and valleys. 2015, it wasn't like a hill or a valley. It was like a speeding car hitting a brick wall. I found myself uh, December 23rd, 2015 in a federal prison. And life, it definitely changed. And I think it was one of God's biggest blessings because he plucked me out of even worse problems that I had. So the time that I'm going through it, it wasn't until 2019, a governor somewhere, politician somewhere came up and made a law and he dropped my charges where I was facing 10 years in prison. I'd already done four. And someone unlocked my cell and said, you have an opportunity to go into a program. The program that they had chose was Teen Challenge. So they sent me back to Fresno. And from Fresno, California, I came into Teen Challenge in 2019. And I'm here to tell you guys, the life that I've lived, I would never would have thought in a million years I would be on a stage talking That's at right. a church. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that. And the wonderful thing about it is, is I had people to help me accountable because my time in Teen Challenge was not easy. Becoming a Christian was not what I thought it was going to be. I, I thought life would get smoother, transitions would be easier, but that didn't happen. Real life was there. And I had my pastor because six months in it, we tell everybody, you hit a six-month wall, which I did. I had bad things happening, and my pastor had to talk me off of a cliff because I wanted to run. But he taught me in that how to deal with things by prayer because we tell this to all the guys, pray about it. And that at one time was becoming very irritating because I wasn't used to praying about it. I was used to doing something about it. And I learned the power of prayer was the biggest asset that I had in my life. So now in my life... I'm involved at New Life Church, where I'm a facilitator for a 12-step for a men's group. The church that I go to now in Keys, I'm also on the board helping them bring Amen. a 12-step to their church. And I get to be a person that's holding other people accountable and getting to show them about how Jesus loves us and how much life can change. I love the theme that you guys have going on today about love. Because one of the, my favorite verses in the Bible is something on obedience. And that is in 1 Peter, obey God with all your heart because you are his children. Do not slip back into your That's evil right. ways. I love you guys. Amen. Amen. Literally, it's a ministry that changes men's lives, women's lives, families' lives. We see miracles every day. It's pretty powerful. Pastor. Amen. Well, Rick, Thank thanks so much, invitation. man. Thanks for being here. We love the chance to partner with you, and God bless you guys. Thanks okay. so much. Let's give them one more round of applause.
And by the way, if you want to hear some more of those stories, they're going to be in a couple of our adult Sunday school classes uh, right after we wrap up service here in just a, a little bit. They're going to be in the Word and Deed class in room seven and in the Bridge class in room uh, four. We'd love to help you find those. Here's some more stories because we've got a number of guys that came out today. And thanks so much for, for spending your Father's Day with us. And happy Father's Day to a lot of these guys who raised their hands and said, I'm a dad. I'm working this for my kids too. So that is awesome. Well, hey, um, we're going to wrap up here. But if As you study that passage that we talked about, um, and Rick alluded to this, it's just fascinating to me, the things that Jesus weaves together. He weaves together love, and he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, and I'll send the helper. But then he starts to speak about something else. As Rick said, he talks about a joy, and a joy that we could experience. But he also talks about peace. And when there is obedience, there is peace. And can I just say to you this morning, if you're here and you're not experiencing the peace that you know God has for you, a lot of times that's because we are not obeying him. And when we obey him, it's not easy, but you know what you can do? You can sleep at night and sleep in the, you know, in the, the arms of God who, who, uh, who uh, we're obeying. Um, Jesus says it like this, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. I do not give peace as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. God, I thank you so much for the church family gathered here together on Father's Day. And we thank you, Lord, for your words to us about love and, and the things that we've learned even over these last five weeks. And I pray, Lord, um, that in our hearts, because, Lord, even we, we sit here on Sunday and, God, we want to do these things. But Father, I pray that as we go, we would put them into action and that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would surround us with your church family and that you would lead us into all truth, Lord, so that we could do these things. I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself because we're struggling with these things, Lord. We want to honor you. We want to see you glorified. We want to see the peace and the joy and the, the, the health restored that even we've heard in these testimonies today. So we love it, love you. We commit ourselves to you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.